There have been about 70,000 books written on the subject of parenting. And while many of these books were written about discipline and forming acceptable behavior in kids, almost none of them even mention a subject that might have a lot more to do with our children's intelligence, appetites, attitudes, and actions than we think. As parents teaching other parents about raising kids in today's entertainment-saturated society, we've often been guilty here of talking about the dangers of much of that entertainment without promoting the potential power and influence that it, and music in particular, can have in shaping our kids' hearts and minds. Well, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle knew about it, and that was way before the advent of the electric guitar. So we'll be considering the power and influence of music when raising our kids on today's License to Parent. Well, welcome to our program today. Licensed to Parent is the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program for teens in crisis. Our host on the program is Trace Embry, the founder and director of Shepherds Hill, and I'm Rich Rosel. And uh, Trace, particularly as it relates to bringing up healthy kids, I know that you've got a lot to say about the power of music. And, and one of the things that I think you would advocate is that parents introduce their kids to a musical instrument and at the earliest possible age. Now, mm-hmm. we're going to see what our guest has to say about this, but why do you feel this is so important? And by the way, please answer in the form of a song. <laughs> well, yeah, I certainly would advocate for that, Rich. Um, in fact, if I could raise my kids all over again, uh, I would actually make my kids learn an instrument. I'd require it, uh, probably keyboards. Um, maybe guitar, and then I'd do all I could to get them interested in any number of other instruments as they got older. And just by saying this, I know there's probably millions of people out there thinking I'm this big tyrant, uh, but I have my reasons for it. Uh, First, don't we basically make our kids learn other things that they have absolutely no interest in, like algebra or chemistry? You know, when I was in public school, music was a a mandatory class. Hmm. Uh, music is something our kids can always use, and they, they don't necessarily have to be gifted in music or even like learning it at first uh, for music to bring benefits to their brain. Yet so many kids who are actually made to play an instrument actually do learn to like it. I had friends that uh, uh, would fall into that category. Uh, studies show that kids who can read music and play an instrument have larger frontal lobes in their brains. I'm talking physically larger brains. Mm. Uh, these are the re- reasoning factors, that frontal lobe part, uh, the action and consequence part of the brain. Uh, it happens because they're intensely working out those areas that would ordinarily be, uh, wouldn't ordinarily be worked out so intently. Uh, it's like kind of going to brain gym. <laughs> you know, but, but what, you know, what parent wouldn't want that for their kids? Yet, we'll let our kids sit in front of video games for hours on end. Yeah. And most of that stuff's like neural junk food. And by the way, those same studies show that reasoning skills are also advanced in kids who've been playing music. They're, uh, they're two to three grades ahead in math. Their SAT scores are considerably higher as well. And maybe if we train them in music first, they will want to learn about algebra and there chemistry. You go. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, can, I can tell you from my daughter, she's been playing the piano since she's five years old, my youngest uh, daughter. She's very interested in math. If, if, if you uh, get a new desk or something that has to be assembled, I mean, she's, she's the one to do it. I mean, she just takes those reasoning skills and puts things together. It could be argued that there, uh, there's a flip side to this, uh, too, and, and maybe we'll touch a little bit on that with our guest today. Uh, if not, I'll, it'll definitely be the core of uh, next week's topic. Uh, because whatever good that can be brought out of music, there's an equally powerful dark side that can manifest as well. Uh, and I've had that confirmed over and over and over again uh, with the kids that come through Shepherd's Hill. Yeah. 
Well, uh, you mentioned the dark side. We're actually going to be covering that somewhat on our next program mm-hmm. yeah. uh, with our guest, uh, G. Craig Lewis. But today, we have invited back to the program Lauren Green. Now, Lauren, you may well know, uh, she serves as uh, Fox News Channel's chief religion correspondent. She's based in their New York bureau. She joined Fox News back in 1996. And in that time, she has covered news of faith and culture for Fox, including a live report from Rome in 2013 on the election of Pope Francis, as well as on the retirement of Pope Benedict. And uh, she's provided live coverage on the beatification of Pope John Paul II from Rome in 2011. I, I guess you are like the, the Pope News uh, <laughs> correspondent here. Uh, those, of course, just the religion stories. But more than that, what we like about what Lauren does is she does what we do on Licensed to Parent. She helps bring a biblical worldview really to all the news of the day. Uh, Lauren joined us back in the spring, by the way, to talk about her new book, Lighthouse Faith, God as a Living Reality in a World Immersed in Fog. And during that conversation, we discovered her secret other side that you don't see during her broadcasts on Fox News. Lauren Green is a concert pianist with a degree in piano performance from the University of Minnesota, We said last time that it was nice to bring some culture to the program, so we've invited her back this time for an encore performance on Licensed to Parent. Lauren, welcome back to Licensed to Parent. Oh, thank you so much. Tell us a little about your your, your background, how you got interested in music. Uh, uh, Did your parents influence you? Well, music was all in my my household, and I don't remember ever not having a piano around. We always had a piano. And I think when my my father's mother died... um, her piano came to us, I think, although I do remember having a piano before that, so I'm not quite sure how that worked out. I, I, but my mother always loved music, although she was never formally trained. Uh, my sister was, my oldest sister, who was you know, like 17 years older than me, um, she was, a, a, by all accounts, considered a child prodigy. Uh, mm. When she was five years old, she actually played for her kindergarten class because she played better than the teacher. Wow. So she played at the, uh, <laughs> at the, uh, at the, at the Christmas concerts when they actually called them Christmas, Christmas concerts. Yeah, right. Then. And uh, my mom tells the story, but, you know, my, my sister was like, this is a little one. They had to put phone books on the piano bench so she could get to, to play. By the way, and, for those of you who don't know what phone books right, are, don't know what phone books. very <laughs> thick books where they had a listing of everyone's phone number. Exactly. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. So they had to put a couple under her, and uh, she. So my mom said, you know, during the concert, uh, all these uh, parents were in the back, kind of standing up, trying to figure where the music was coming from because I couldn't see anybody <laughs> at the piano. Wow! And it was my little my 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 sister who was you know five five years old yeah. at the time. So, so the, the music was always in the house. And I'll tell you, maybe it, it, maybe it was music in the womb. Even I was hearing it in the womb because I remember listening to like the music in commercials or in, 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 uh, in movies and being drawn to them, mm-hmm. not just drawn to them, but captivated by it. I remember um, when I was, I don't know, I probably caught the first like 10 minutes of the seven year itch once when I was probably eight or nine, it was on TV. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what the movie was about, but I remember him putting on this music that I, learned later was Rachmaninoff's second piano concerto. Yes. All of a sudden, my whole being focused on it. It was just so beautiful, so yeah. captivating. And, and since, um, it had been Rachmaninoff's second piano concerto has been one of my favorites, and I actually played it in a performance a few years ago at uh, the Steinway Hall, wow. which awesome. in that building, Rachmaninoff himself and Vladimir Horowitz ran through his um, third piano concerto in that building. The two of them playing together in the most incredible 
vibes in that building. And uh, I'll always remember that having the opportunity to play Rachmaninoff's Piano Concerto in the building, the same building where he wow. went, he played with Horowitz. That's wow. awesome. Real quick, uh, just about that song, and you mentioned the seven-year itch. That That's a great setup to really what we want to talk about with music. If you've not seen the movie, and this was from like back in the 60s, I guess, a man has to stay in the city because he's got to work, but his family goes off on vacation. And while he's there by himself, Marilyn Monroe ends up subletting the apartment above him. And he is smitten with her and invites her down for, you know, drinks or something. And every time he's thinking she's going to come, he quickly puts that record on. And so, yeah, he's trying to set the mood. Now, obviously, that's not what we want to be, you know, encouraging our kids to do to set the mood for something illicit. But uh, very funny scenes. And, and yeah, he kept putting that record on and putting the record on and putting and nothing ever happened. But, but it's, it's he, evidence no, and he of, was trying to resist her, but it's trying to attract her at the same time. Yes. He was really, it was a spiritual battle. It was, uh, in a sense. Yes. I understand that now, but then it was just, oh, isn't it kind of funny? Because we understood adultery was not good. Right. It, right. Was, it was a bad thing. And we don't get that today. Right. You know, so it doesn't have the same impact. We don't, we don't feel for him in trying to resist this, this ultra sexy kind of woman's attention. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't even be in the script today. Um, how... How do you see music's role? I mean, we've already talked about it being powerful, uh, given an example of it in a movie. How do you see music's role in possibly bringing a family closer together? Well, yeah, I think, as I said before in our last conversation, that in the book of Psalms, you know, it is the second most command is to make music to God. There has got to be something in music that God understands is so powerful. Um, And Mm -hmm. psychologists and neuroscientists have shown how music is incredibly powerful and how it it can develop the brain um, and create communities. Um, It can sustain communities. And so when you sing hymns at church, it solidifies, you know, the words and the meaning of those words in your mind. Um, You know, at church on Sunday, um, singing Christ alone, the cornerstone, the weak made strong and the Mm -hmm. Savior's love. Through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all. I mean, I remember that because we were singing it, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. I remember it more because it was to music. And when a family has that together, to meld your voices together creates a unity that you don't have any other way. The harmony, if you can harmonize, that's fine. If you can't, you could just sing along. <laughs> you know, when we, you know, we were at 4th of July and, you know, my, my brother-in-law will bring you know, a uh, uh, portable piano, and we will go through the folk books and, and how people just want to sing together because it brings unity. It brings um, community together. Yeah, and I, so, I, th- I think there's a spiritual component that we can't empirically prove it, but music it just has this, and, and most uh, musicians will tell you that music is deeply spiritual. And uh, I'd like for you to maybe... Uh, expound on that as to what well, evidence yeah, can you what, bring to the table? You've got two things happening. You've got what people feel, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, when I play music, it's 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 like this is total encompassing kind of thing. I feel almost closer to God, as close as you can get to God, and be still be on this earth and still be living. And that's how I feel when I play music. But there's something else in music, and I bring this out in the book, and it's a little hard to explain if you're not a musician or if you've not studied music, of the theory behind it, the actual mathematical. Um, <laughs> physical presence of it and what it is, then I realized, I said, oh my goodness, 
this is incredible um, glorifying tool, this music. And one thing we understood, and, and uh, this is brought out in uh, Leonard Bernstein's uh, 1973 series of lectures at Harvard, I think. It was called The Unanswered Question. And he brought this out about how music is structured, the, the Western diatonic music uh, system, which is that the scale system is based on the overtone series, which is a physical reality of a vibrating string, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, all of the notes in a scale are structured so that they're, they're defined by the relationship to the first note, right? So an interval is the distance between two notes. And a scale is made up of seven intervals that derive their, their identity from being relation to the first note. This is all based on um, the music's physical nature, the vibrating string. Yeah. But there's something about the fifth degree of the scale, which is called the dominant in music, that is so powerful, and it continues to point its way back to home base. It is, it is this thing that operates in music so that when, you, when its presence is there, it, it almost automatically draws you to the tonic note, right? Right? Yeah. What we call the ending, the cadence, the ending. And I've called this in the, my book, The Holy Spirit of Music. Hmm. It is simply a tool for glorification. Well, well, to dumb this down just a little bit for me, I think the bottom line is there's certain uh, chord progressions and, and maybe chords themselves that you hear in scary movies, you know. Um, yeah, uh, the, absolutely. The, the, the tune to the Munsters or the tune to the Adams Family or, or back in the Frankenstein movies, the Lon Chaney stuff. You wouldn't play uh, the, the theme music to the Munsters or leave it to Beaver <laughs> to, to William Wallace charging across the Scottish fields. No. You know, br- I mean, you're absolutely right. Br- I mean, music tells us how to feel. Right. You know? it, 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 it's articulation and a spiritual realm that bypasses the intellect and goes straight to the soul. Right. And so consequently, I think that parents need to be aware of this because I think sometimes their kids are listening to things that they can articulate as to why it's wrong. Put the lyrics aside. We can get into that later. But, oh, absolutely. But I mean, when you, if a music company executive tells us that it does, has no effect, this kind of music which, with, with a foul language and has no effect on children, they are lying they are. or they're, they're, are, they're terribly ignorant. Yeah. It, it, just last week, you know, we were in, just driving and this man pulled up next to us, had the windows down and, and blaring some music that had the most foul language. And, you know, I just could not understand how... Being so offensive, you think that not only you want to listen to it, but the whole world wants to listen to it. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And parents have to understand that um, their children are getting uh, catechized but a very secular culture, and that music is one of its greatest tools. Exactly. Well, on this note, and before we reach critical mass, note, is that a pun? Yes, a little pun there. Uh, We've got to take a break. Our guest today on Licensed to Parent is Lauren Green, Fox News Channel's chief religion correspondent based in New York, also author of the recently released book, Lighthouse Faith, God as a Living Reality in a World Immersed in Fog. We'll be back with more conversation with Lauren Green when Licensed to Parent continues. Everywhere we go, we're surrounded by screens, have we entered into a techno-utopia or a virtual prison? Prison. prison? Is our social experience richer and deeper or more shallow and artificial? 
discover insightful answers to these questions in the documentary DVD, Captivated, Finding Freedom in a Media Captive Culture. You'll learn from media experts, church leaders, and inspiring individuals and families from across the country, including Trace Embry and students from Shepherds Hill Academy. Most importantly, you'll discover how God's Word addresses the unique media challenges we face today. Captivated, finding freedom in a media captive culture. Available in the store at licensedtoparent.org. Proceeds benefit the Shepherds Hill Academy Scholarship Fund. Teen rebellion, depression, addiction, rage, cutting, and suicide are destroying our families today. But there is a way out. Shepherds Hill Academy offers a 12-month Christ-centered nonprofit residential program where kids are being transformed with a biblical worldview and often medication-free. Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias is just one of many Christian leaders who understands what's happening at Shepherds Hill Academy. It really is such an honor to come alongside Shepherds Hill Ministries and licensed parents to rescue those who have been seduced along the way. Uh, I cannot gainsay how important this is, and to get behind a ministry like this, one will find the rewards to be extremely powerful in changing society. Get the help you need at Shepherds Hill Academy. Go to helpmytroubledteen.org, helpmytroubledteen.org. you're listening to Licensed to Parent, you'll find us online at LicensedToParent.org. And while there, you can check out some previous conversations we've had on the Licensed to Parent broadcast. In fact, if you look back into the spring of 2017, you'll find our first conversation with today's guest, Lauren Green, Fox News Channel's chief religion correspondent, author of the recently released book, Lighthouse Faith, God is a Living Reality in a World Immersed in Fog. And uh, what we're talking about today is Lauren Green, the concert pianist, and her thoughts on music's influence uh, on us and on our kids. Well, Lauren, I, I wanted to bring something up I touched on in the opening about uh, when we play music or read music, uh, learn to do it. It's like going to the brain gym. And you, you've, got, yeah. you've got parents who, you know, put their kids in front of screens with baby Einstein and want their kids to have a leg up on everything. But we know that kids who can read and play music uh, you know, their their reasoning skills are advanced. They're two or three grades advanced in their mathematics. Their frontal lobes are physically larger. Am I a tyrant for requiring my child to learn an instrument? Uh, I don't think so. In fact, I think in Japan, music is considered part of the academic curriculum in schools. They do well Because they understand too. <laughs> how music um, affects the brain. Mm -hmm. um, and... There is a study, and I can't remember which study it is, and there's several actually out there, and a neurologist has told me this, and I've read it uh, in papers, that music, the playing of music, and even the hearing of music uh, to the developing brain actually helps form the synaptic connections in the brain, and it forms it in such a way that it helps the brain develop skills for uh, technical reasoning, for things like physics, mm -hmm. um, medicine, uh, engineering, um, the things that you cannot, it, a way that brain develops, it won't, doesn't develop in, a, in another way. Um, and, it, you know, it, it, it just has this ability to form the brain and, and shape the brain. One of the things that um, I don't think came out about the movie Hidden Figures, remember, did you see the movie Hidden Figures with the, uh, the African-American women who were 
basically human computers uh, yeah. working on the space program, doing advanced mathematics. And one of the things that was very common about them is that they all were church musicians. Most ah, of them interesting. Played in church and, and new music. And that has incredible impact on how the brain can reason through complex mathematical problems. I was attracted to mathematics as a high schooler as well. I mean, I did a lot of mathematics mm-hmm. because it seemed easier to me. Reading symbols was just incredibly quick. I, I got it because the music required that I play with both hands and learn to read symbols of the music in two steps, you know, going horizontally and having to read vertically as well as horizontally and then hearing the, hearing the sound of it in my ear. And that really trained my brain in a certain way um, that I now realize that I, I think differently because of that. By the way, for those who don't play or read music, that really is an amazing thing right there that you've described, the being able to read music on two staffs. That's the, the treble clef and the bass clef. You're basically reading the position for 10 fingers all at yes. once in, in one, you know, one, one graph there. And yeah, I, I'm a percussionist. I can't read that many at, at once. So I'm, <laughs> I'm in awe of, of a pianist, you know, who can do that. What is that music uh, when Janet Lee, I think her name was, was in the shower in the movie Psycho, and then you heard, tink, 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 tink. What, is yeah, that, I, I don't think that was a love song. It, 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 well, this is the same thing that Pythagoras discovered when he was, and this is the whole, you know, urban legend of did he do it or did he not? I don't know. But anyway, the, the point is, is that he would walk by, this is 600 BC, he would walk by the smithy and he'd hear the you know, hammering, right? Mm-hmm. Um, hammering the ironwork. And every so often he would hear a sound that would be really harmonious. And then, then he would hear a sound that was like really discordant, like he didn't like it. One sound he liked, the other didn't he like. It was like, why do I like this sound and I don't like this sound together? And then he found out that there was a dissonant sound that had to do with the vibrations of those two uh, different sized hammers. Or not different sizes, but different lengths of metal that they were actually banging on. Mm-hmm. So this is the something that's that when the beats, when the vibrations are not in sync, it causes a dissonant sound. Like they're beating against each other. Musicians call it listen to the beat before you resolve the note. It's like there's this beat that needs resolving, right? Mm-hmm. So that strident sound you were hearing is like the, it just centered on the beat and never gave you relief the, from the, it. The, the last time we talked, you mentioned the impact that Tim Keller from Redeemer Presbyterian in Manhattan had on you when uh, uh, he was talking about oh, how, yeah, absolutely. how we as God's children you know, need to fit more into God's mold than, than trying to get God to fit into ours. In light of this, and in light of the reality of good and evil music, how should this dictate the kind of music that we as adults listen to, and then what we allow our kids to listen to? Well, I mean, I think the the difference is where your heart is being drawn. If you love God, and if you've been taught to worship God and read His Word, and and want to be closer to God, and the natural tendency is to want to listen to music that helps that worship. That's where it starts. And sometimes it does start the other way, where you hear music and it becomes, oh, wow, this is so, I mean, this is really beautiful and it draws me closer to to God. But music is such a powerful tool. It's such a power in itself. Mm -hmm. Um, It not only creates cultures, it sustains them. And there's no culture that has been without music. So I think that the real issue for young people People, the real issue for parents, you know, don't think that what your child is listening to is innocuous. 
Never think Amen. that. Amen. You know? And if it's putting a check in your spirit, I think you need to investigate that. That's the bottom line in it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, my, my niece, and I'm so glad that my niece would even reach out to me because, you know, a lot of times young people will not reach out to the parents because they don't want to hear the lecture, but they'll reach out to a, um, a, another older adult mm-hmm. or a relative next to them and like an aunt or something like that. And she, I remember asking me, you know, and was, she asked me this question. She, she's eight, she was 18 at the time. She says, you know, can I be a feminist and a Christian? Is that in conflict? And I thought, I'm so glad she even asked the question, you know, <laughs> you know, because sometimes they don't. Yeah. No. And it's about authority. It's yeah. about, you yeah. know, authority. Who, who's authority under which you, do you live? Yeah. You know, and I think that's the same thing about music. What yeah. authority, what music do you want to be subject to? Yeah. What words um, are going to be infiltrated in your mind? You know, we like to say the music is, simply living out what's already inside. And I would counter that. It's like, no, I think the music is actually putting inside you and affirming what's, what, you know, something that, you know, mm-hmm. you know, is something that should be or should not be affirmed in you. Yeah. A fuel that draws out something that's already there. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you want, and, it, and like Solzhenitsyn was talking about, you know, the, the evil runs through every human heart, right? Mm-hmm. So if you want to, um, grow the evil inside of you, or grow the despair, or grow the you know, despondency and all of that, then you're going to listen to music that says, you know, that's going to let you wallow in your self-pity and wallow in the despair and wallow in the pain and not ask for questions. Or if you understand intellectually, intellectually that no, this is not God's plan for me. This is not God's plan. Then you will seek out the music that gives you hope, mm. you know? It's all about knowing that, him, know, isn't it? That about knowing him, about yeah. God as a plan through the storm, mm-hmm. that he is Lord of all, Amen. through the storm, you know. Um, great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Mm-hmm. You know, faith, you know, hope, um, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. You, this is what you listen to. This is God's plan. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's, I think, intellectually, you've got to actually put that into play or else, you know, you're going to have the opportunity, you know, when and you're down, you're going to be listening to that soulful music. Oh, Lord, you know, and, you know, he broke up with me and, you know, and, you know, I can't live without him. I can't live if living is without you. And it's like, oh, my yeah. goodness. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's not good. Right, right, right. Well, our conductor has his baton up. The other concert's about to begin, so I think we need to wrap this one up. Our guest today on Licensed to Parent has been Lauren Green, Fox News Channel's chief religion correspondent based in the New York Bureau, also author of the recently released book, Lighthouse Faith, God as a Living Reality in a World Immersed in Fog. And, of course, today she has become the music director on Licensed to Parent. I didn't ask about that. By the way, the video that you mentioned earlier uh, that you saw of Leonard Bernstein, that is on YouTube. I've seen it. So if anybody wants to look up Leonard Bernstein and music theory, you can find that on YouTube. Lauren, thanks so much for being Thank with you. us today. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. A, a real blessing. And that wraps up another edition of our program. Licensed to Parent comes to you from Shepherd's Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered therapeutic residential program helping teens in crisis and their families. You can learn more about our ministry and help the work we do with teens by visiting us online at licensedtoparent.org. While you're there, click on the Donate tab and you can find out how you can become a financial supporter of this ministry. 
You can also listen to other conversations we've had on a wide range of parenting topics. You can find some of our parenting resources, and you can subscribe to our blog. Once again, the address, licensetoparent.org. Our program coordinator on License to Parent is Daniel Fazina. Our technical producer is Carl Peets. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosal, inviting you to join us again next time to renew your License to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. See you next time.